literally, that is how I ended up from. Um, my then husband and I were on a vacation in um, Vegas, and then we got up at 4 a.m. and we just started driving to see the sunrise, and uh, we found this really ridiculous place. It was like the land that time forgot. I mean, we only got electricity there in the like, 1960s. And, uh, <laughs> and they, uh, they only got a high school in the 1970s and there's nothing around it. Nothing, absolutely nothing. And they, they only like, they don't use credit cards. They only use paper money and, uh, they're nuts. <laughs> I spent a week in Pahrump once, so I'm, I am familiar with Pahrump. Yeah. There are a lot of interesting things about Pahrump. You were in a brothel, weren't you? I didn't go to the brothel. I drove past the brothel because I was just like, I was there for a full week. I was like curious, like what was going on in this town? I think there were, there were two brothels, right? Yes. There's, there are several in the area and two in Pahrump. There's two in Pahrump. There's the, uh, I think the best little whorehouse in Texas Prothel is in Prump now. When Texas outlawed prostitution, it moved to Prump. And you can have lunch there. Oh, I, I, I wish I would have known that because my person I was there to visit told me that the, the, the best and really only place to eat was uh, the casinos. So I ate most of my meals in the casinos. They were it, it was at the time one of the few places that had Wi-Fi, so... <laughs> And driving down whatever that road that the, the brothels are on, Art Bell used to live off that road. Yes. You would drive down that road, and then on that hill, there were just like, there's like 50 antennas. So long story long, I was there to visit the, uh, the third co-founder of Apple lives in Prump. Yeah, I know that. You were there? I was doing a feature on Ron Wayne, so I hung out with Ron Wayne for a week. So now he's a stamp collector, right? Yeah. What's the word philatelist or ph- ph- he, it says, I think it's coins. I think he's a coins guy. This was at least 10 years ago, I think at this point, but I, I spent a week in Prump and it's a, uh, it's an interesting place. There's not a lot going on. I will say that about it. It has a Walmart. Yeah, that's recent. I'm sure it's probably like the single largest employer in Pahrump, I would have to imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's what, like an hour and a half outside of Vegas. Is that right? You saw a place you liked and you landed there? We said, wouldn't it be funny to move here? So we did. <laughs> was it funny? Yeah, it was, it, was, um, it was funny. How long ago was that? Three, three and a half years ago. Again, I spent a week there, so I can't really speak to it beyond that. How, how is it as a place to live? It's great. Uh, we lived in the North End, which is where all the loons, the especially loons, live. Downtown is where the meth, meth people live. And um, then in the south end is where people golf and retire and have RVs. So we live where there's like flat earthers and, you know, people preparing for end times and tribulations and bringing up the Constitution for a reason why they don't need a driver's license. <laughs> yeah. Before... I knew anything about it. I, I used to listen to Art Bell back in the day and there, there was something kind of, there was some kind of like a romantic about the way he discussed the, the high desert. I think that's the perfect word for it. Um, there have been some people who took over after he died and it's men talking about monsters and nightmares and um, like active dreaming, like controlling your dreams and 
Yeah, Queens of Dreaming and uh, demons and uh, and they make jokes about penises. It's really puerile and it's loving. You know, it's like I really love men uh, encouraging each other and allowing each other to say stupid stuff. And uh, you don't see that. And I think that's what's wrong with America. <laughs> There's not enough men encouraging each other. <laughs> I guess it's a bit of a double-edged sword. Yes, it is definitely a double-edged sword because they encourage each other in some dark ways too. Yeah, it depends on the men, I suppose, is probably the big the takeaway. All in all, it's worth it, I think. You know, it's bad eggs. What is it? What is it about Prump as a place that attracts all of these these weirdos? Well, nobody tells on anybody like people go there to hide and uh, you can really do the good there and you can find other kooks who support your kooky plans and dreams um you know and there's a lot of space and it's cheap and you can have privacy and do your weird things nobody checks on anybody sounds like it's been a pretty good spot for you why leave it now uh, well, I, I left actually a year ago. I moved to Vegas, um, and then now I'm just kind of doing, I guess, like writer retreats in people's houses when they're not there. <laughs> I've been all over. It's a fancy way of saying you're couch surfing. It sounds like. Well, I'm really bed surfing because I wait till they're and I go to bed. <laughs> You know, I, I usually I'll go to uh, Vegas once a year for for work. What is what's Vegas been like during all this? Vegas has been um, actually nothing like. I always hated Vegas because I just. Um, but it's actually when you get off the trip, it's it's a really good little community of. There's a lot of uh, homeless people and poor people and you know people of color and uh, like you know. LGBTQ and everybody's all rowdy. It reminds me of, of New York in the 90s, like Brooklyn and, you know, hanging out with all the immigrants and stuff um, and just crazy nights. <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's really friendly. And I did all these free things, like a free comedy workshop, and it was all these crazy old Black people uh, like yelling at me for being white and it was really really funny you know I mean you can't like where else can you can you get a free comedy workshop and then we did it live like all these like really bad like no one was good <laughs> no one was good <laughs> I saw I think one of the the videos that that comes up for you when you search is I, I assume it's from that night there's a video of you doing a it's not really a stand-up it's almost like a moth style story yeah, well, I did that because I tell stories, but everybody else was telling jokes. Like, like, like I went on a diet, so I, I only had two pieces of pizza. I just sliced it down the middle. Our teacher was James Bean, and he made five thousand dollars in one night. For Patty Labelle, <laughs> it's his sort of boat of days. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Vegas man. <laughs> and then I took another class there writing about fighting that too was free and it was this guy talking about he was he had all these like made-up creatures that fought each other like scorpion creatures in my peers my my other 
people who wanted to learn how to write about. There was a furry. And he was saying, you know, uh, like, I really like to get into architecture. And I, I want to, like, in my stories, I just spend the whole story telling about the architecture. I don't want to tell about, like, how many rings there are on my tail because maybe it's copywritten. <laughs> These people are nuts. <laughs> Everyone's nuts. <there. laughs> Do you feel like you're one of the more relatively normal people in these classes? Oh, I always think I'm normal. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so when you call people nuts, like you're you're the sort of baseline that you would use. No, what I mean is they're not afraid to be themselves. They're not trying to be anything. You know, they're they're out there and. They're having a good time. I mean, how much of this class taking and how much of kind of going out there and doing stuff is you looking for material, looking for things to to write about? Both of those things, the comedy and the writing about fighting, were just, I've been writing my whole life. So it's nice to find out if I have something else to learn, you know, not think that I know how to do it. And like do something that I don't normally do. I don't normally write about creatures fighting each other. Like I (laughs) <laughs> that was a good exercise the course was teaching you how to write stories about creatures fighting each other yes okay and <laughs> uh, did you get anything out of that i mean no no we're not <laughs> going to see know. a a, a, no, a a novel from you about uh creatures fighting each other no it's not gonna happen but, but i enjoyed it and um i I, I, it made me enthusiastic about writing because these guys were. I mean, I guess in some ways the move from Pahrump to Vegas is a big one culturally, if not as much geographically. But again, Botswana, that's <laughs> very far away. And I assume I, I've never been. I, I, I spent a little time in Lagos last year. So I've been on the continent, but uh, I assume that culturally Botswana and Las Vegas are probably fairly different. I hope so. I would really get out of America. It's become it's, it's so mean. Everybody, everybody assesses themselves in comparison to how superior they are to their opposite. And I, I don't think that's any way at all. I hate it. And it, it's not, it's not just conservative nuts. It's also my friends are ridiculing people all the time and people aren't full human if they if they you know voted for i don't remember anything like that ever that wasn't my my idea of america but now i i can't really avoid it (laughs) so i just want to get away from it I don't know. I don't I don't know anybody who's happy with the way things are going in the country right now. Obviously, you know, COVID is kind of a bit of a freak thing, but it's certainly compelling people to to want to change to 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 shake things up a little bit in their own lives. Yeah, I'm excited about that. I think it's a good opportunity for businesses and individuals and families and everything to have a redo. Are are you hopeful though that after a number of recent years of things getting worse and worse that there's a chance for redemption for America? I don't know. I don't, I haven't wanted to be here for a long time, but I had my kids here, so I couldn't leave. I mean, I lived in France for a couple of years and um, I, and then I would have, and I kept on traveling 
but I didn't live anywhere else because I had children and now they're not children anymore so I can go so I'm gonna go <laughs> you did a tour last year right uh, I went to Australia New Zealand and Europe and UK and every place um that was in 2016 but then I did another one just in in America like maybe that was last year I think 2019 yeah and then uh oh yeah and and then I went to Stockholm and made some short films then this year in 2020 I went to uh, I spent a couple months in Alabama and a couple months in St. Paul now I'm in Reno <laughs> so you were in Vegas and now you're in Reno St. Paul and Alabama are two fairly different places well I never lived those are the two places that I never lived, so I wanted to live there. <laughs> Those were like the last two places in the States that you hadn't, you hadn't lived in? Yeah, except I haven't ever lived in the Dakotas, but I don't want to. <laughs> it's very cold, but I don't know. I guess if you're a fan of wide open spaces. And... I really like the desert. If I were going to stay, I would stay in the desert. And the, a big reason I want to go to Africa is because um, I find here that people tend to um, not believe in a lot of things, but disbelieve. Um, like the right seems to disbelieve in science and media, and the left disbelieves in the uh, you know capitalism and business and. My friend um, who lived in Senegal for a while, uh, Lenya, um, she said she was saying how people are very social and connected, and part of it is because they're afraid of getting cursed by somebody, and uh, so you want to be nice to everyone because you believe in the evil eye and stuff. So you know, I think that would be good for us if we would, you know, believe in curses because that would make us mind our p's and q's. <laughs> I'm of two minds, you know. I like I I, I want to. I would like to have faith that people are capable of being reasonable and nice to each other without the threat of curse. Well, are they? We have religion here, which is probably the the, the closest analog that, like, you know, theoretically. As opposed to keep people attracted. Obviously, it, it hasn't done a great job of that. I was listening to a lot of Christian radio stations on the drive here, and all they talked about was the Antichrist. That was all they were talking about. And they, they seem to have narrowed it down to it's either Macron or Pope Francis. <laughs> I get Pope Francis from the standpoint of like, I think non-Catholic Christians just don't like the Pope generally is probably part of it. Macron is, Macron's a weird one. What was the, uh, what was the thinking behind Macron? Well, they say that he's wanting to, that he's a globalist, which I don't even know if that's true. I don't really think that's true. I mean, they could say that more about um, uh, the German president. Merkel. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think he's, you know, as much of a globalist as like, any neoliberal state. Well, they're saying that, and what's wrong with globalism is that, um, so the, um, the deep state want to uh, inject us, like there is no COVID, but the- It's the mark of the beast. 
It, yes. And first they had us wear the masks to condition us to get these little nano bites or whatever, these little tiny things that they're going to inject in us with the, with the inoculation. And uh, that's going to make people like machines and machines like people. And that's going to take away your soul. So then you're not going to be, you're not going to believe in God anymore because you're going to be like a machine. So that's why Macron is the Antichrist. I admit I have not listened to Christian radio in a long time. It sounds like they're fully pilled on QAnon at this point. Is that, is that safe to say? Yeah. Have you been able to do a lot of writing throughout all this? Yes, that's what I do. How much time are you generally spending a day writing? I don't know. It's hard to say because I do most of my writing kind of, I guess, while walking or talking or I do most of my writing, like noting things in my head and then hopefully I remember it later. Like even in my sleep, I write. So I don't spend much time actually hitting the keyboard. From what I can tell, at least, you know, you, you seem to be fairly prolific. So you're, you're, you're spending a decent amount of time sitting down and actually typing these things out. I think I must be prolific because I, like, I have my monthly newsletter. I wrote a book. Um, I, I mean, I've written a lot of books, but I wrote a book this year and I write, you know, on assignment. What was the book you wrote this year? Oh, uh, it's called The Prop Report. <laughs> It's just about life in Prump? Yeah. I envy that in that, you know, I, I'm uh, prolific from the standpoint of, like, I write news articles every day, but... Every day? Oh, God, man. Do you feel that part of kind of throwing yourself into into things the way that you do is to to get inspiration for projects? Uh, that sounds kind of cold and calculating, and I don't feel like I am... I mean, so the answer is... Yes, but not not the way it sounds. I don't think it's a bad thing. You know, it, you know, you need external stimulus. I think sometimes to write. Even if I wasn't a writer, like being a writer is just how I think. How I think is how I write, and so I am curious about the world. I never stop. I'm really interested in people, and so even when I'm not writing, like I took a year off for the first time in my life when I moved to Peru. And even then, I was just constantly like interviewing people just as a conversation everywhere I went. And I, you know, I just like kind of kept it in my head, didn't write it down because I made myself not. But it was just how I, I, I think people are really cool. And also, I think things are interesting too. I, I always look into you know, weird animals or rock formations or like how anything is built or I just think everything is pretty interesting I I mean I think stamp collecting is interesting actually (laughs) if there's an issue at all it's not finding things to focus on but it's it's narrowing down the things that you want to spend your time writing about I always have the same question which is how how do you like to live how do you see the world how do you like what do you want it and and i you know everybody has their unique um you know values and and ideas about what's what's important and what's fun and how how to live i always change my ideas according to 
whoever I listen to last. How do you see the world and what do you want? Hmm. Oh, I, you know, I think it's like, every day is a miracle. <laughs> I'm just happy to be alive. Um, and what I want is just more, more of this until I die. And then, yeah, and then I'm, I'm interested in, you know, dying. I'm interested in what that's going to feel like. I've never done that before. I'm interested in everything I haven't done before. And I'm also interested in doing again the things that I have done, like eight Cheerios every day. What was the motivation for taking a year off of writing? Yeah, I was feeling a little stale. I was feeling like I was, like I, uh, like it was rote. Like I knew what people expected of me writing and I was giving it to them. And that's not what I want to be a writer for. So it was just kind of a way of like resetting your brain. Yeah. It, disentangling from the net. I found my uh, built up crusting. It was a concerted effort from the outset to take the entire year off. Yes. I also didn't listen to the news. Um, and I also didn't have social media. So what did you do? I learned how to build a house. We built a house, basically. Like, well, we tore it down and built it back up. And I got to know some cowboys. And I had a harrowing final year of marriage and divorce. <laughs> I don't know what I did. I, and, oh, yeah, and I, I, I spent a lot of time doing nothing, like hanging out in silence and uh, like being outside just watching ants and stuff which I hadn't done since I was a little girl. That was cool. I did nothing. I spent time doing nothing, which I hadn't done. Pahrump is a good place to do nothing. It sure is. Hard to do something there. <laughs> at, at least when I was there, there was no movie theater out there. No, no movie theater. We didn't have a TV, nothing. It sounds meditative. Is that a fair assessment? I, everybody else in the desert, spending too much time in the hot sun, I found God. It was hot. <laughs> what, is, uh, what does that entail? It's a feeling of... It's a feeling that, for me, it was a feeling that I was... I would be caught if I fell. Um... And it was a feeling like I'm not important and I don't have to do anything because I, I really don't matter. I'm just a vessel and like life moves through me. And it doesn't matter if I'm sad. It's okay. I'm fine because it's like there's all this sadness out there. And if I'm holding, like if it's passing through me, it's like it's just passing through me. I'm I don't, I'm not explaining it well. Like nobody explains God well. But it it was a it was a kind of an uncaring God, like not feeling, not wanting anything, not wanting me to do anything, not protecting me from anything, not not saving anybody's life or anything. And it's fine. It's like God is just watching everything, and I'm watching everything, and we were watching each other and feel a feeling of just okay, like it's okay. What were the circumstances that led up to that? A lot of personal agony over my ending 
marriage and being alone, completely alone, um, and uh, a lot of long endless walks and not knowing who I was and um, not knowing where I was going, like in my life, and not knowing if anybody cared about me because I wasn't having contact and finding finding out that it's fine. And every morning and every evening, I was outside and walking a long time or riding my bicycle. Are you talking about a specific moment that this happened, that you had this realization, or this was just something that happened kind of over the course of however long? It, it, uh, it happened almost every day. <laughs> oh, you found God every day. Yeah. <laughs> he was out there. Like, I would go out, and, you know, or... Yeah, I mean, he was there in the sky. He was hanging out. I was hanging out. We hung out. When people describe finding God, it obviously means something very different to different people. You weren't out there talking to an actual guy. No, it wasn't a man. It was just like eternity. It was just sky. It was just, it's just whatever. I grew up Protestant, and then I became an atheist, and then I became a Buddhist, and then I was three quarters of the way to Judaism. And then I became a nothing. Um, and uh, so, but one thing I've always liked is in, in Christianity, I think Satan is really cool. I think he's a good guy. I think we would be friends. I, I think he's, I, I like how he's, you know, vain and headstrong and didn't want to just hang out in heaven singing God's praises. Ugh, oh my God. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I don't know why I'm saying this except that whoever the God was that I found in the desert, which by the way, I think he lives there and he's not here. He's not in Reno. (laughs) God lives in prompt in the sky. Anyway, I was still friendly towards the idea of Satan during my, my, yes, God. (laughs) But then I fell in love with a Catholic and um, went to Catholic church for the first time as a just a present to him so that he wouldn't miss out on easter and then i fell in love with the catholic church and that's a different god entirely and i don't believe in it but um i don't believe in that god but it because it doesn't seem i just don't feel it but i i started going to church all the time because i i like how they're so nice and they sing nice songs and they say you know have a good day he's a good person <laughs> So different from how I grew up with Protestantism. Do Do you feel like uh, of all of these different religions that you've tried over the years, that one fits closer to what you feel or what you're looking for? They've all been the right thing for the time. Like, you know, um, being an atheist was right when I was angry, and uh, Buddhism was right for when I was pretty psychedelic. And uh, Judaism was right for when I wanted to ask why uh, all the time and be around a bunch of people who wanted to ask why. And the, whatever it was that I found in the desert was I needed a balm. Then the Catholic God was good for because it was really good sex. And I think that the Catholic, I think the Catholic religion really makes I mean every Catholic I've ever had sex with has been 
awesome. And I, I think that, uh, and, and I just became like crazy about that. You, you went to church for the sex? Um, well, I just associated it with, I associated church with the sex and the sex with the church. So yeah, I mean, that, that's all I could think about. I was obsessed. So you think it's the kind of the guilt or the shame that comes along with it? Well, I don't have any guilt or shame. No, no, but in Catholicism. Their guilt and shame. I, no, I don't, you know, everyone says that, but I don't think that's it. I think it's that they try to hold off, you know, like they, like they find reasons for why you can't. And God, there's nothing that makes you want to more than somebody telling you, I can't. When you say hold off, you mean like they, it, it just takes, the, it, it, it takes longer to go to bed with them. Always, like they always come up with some reason why you can't anymore, but you know you're going to, you know they're gonna, and you, you know, you're just like, oh my God, why do we play these games? But these games are totally what it's about. Do you feel that the, the guy that you found in the sky, I mean, it, to, to me, it sounds like it's not too far off from Buddhism. Is that fair? Yeah, it's off from Buddhism. For me, Buddhism, I mean, I went to, I went to um, retreats and everything, and I was really mostly into Zen Buddhism. Um, for me, that was kind of intellectual and artistic, mm. and the one in Pahrump was neither. It was just, it was just, oh my God, it was just like soothing my soothing all the pain of the world. Like it was like feeling all the pain of the world. And I haven't investigated the Indian God, but doesn't it sound like the, not Native American, but India. I wish I knew more about it, but I mean, they, they have, I, I guess it depends on if it's Hinduism or they, they have multiple gods. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what the one that says life is suffering and you just have to accept that life is suffering. And that was a helpful message for you at the time. Yeah. Was the decision to stop writing and the end of your marriage, is there a reason why those two things coincided? You know, it's funny you say that because when I quit writing, maybe it kind of was for my marriage a little bit. To save your marriage? Not to save it because I didn't know that it was in trouble, but to, I don't know, I guess my husband's, and there have been a lot of them, have always been a little jealous of my how self-satisfied I am. Like I'm, I, I'm happy every day. I, I feel like I'm doing my destiny like every day. And that's really aggravating to live with somebody like that. And maybe, and he's a, a businessman. So, you know, it was particularly irony to him. So maybe, I did it partly for him, which I didn't realize at the time. But so maybe I resented him for that. In my second marriage, I gave up my my column. I was actually, one time in my life, I was making a lot of money. That was for nerve? Yeah. And I was making like $4,000 a month. And for me, that's a ton of money. It goes further in prompt than like New York, I'm sure. For my marriage, I gave that up because I was the show of the world. Like, everyone knew our business and everything. You revealed too much about yourself. Yeah. And so our marriage fell apart after I quit because all of a sudden it was just like him and me. It's like we needed that third party of the rest of the world in our marriage. And, like, 
we were just like looking at each other like, oh, what do we do now? <laughs> I mean, among other things, writing or art generally is um, is an outlet or, or like a, a release valve. It's a place where you can get kind of catharsis and deal with some of these issues. And it's easier to perhaps deal with them on paper or stage than it is to maybe confront people directly. That's true. Yeah. And I mean, definitely the, the, what I did, the operas that I performed in my youth, they were definitely psychodramas for sure. Like I definitely worked some things out. <laughs> did you have a creative outlet during that year when you weren't writing? No. Nothing. Not unless you count like making a house. It's more important if you count it. No, not really. No. No. I mean, I was using a jackhammer. <laughs> you know, if Jackson Pollock can be in galleries for splattering paint. I think he can make art with a jackhammer. You've worked in a lot of mediums. Have you always considered yourself a writer first and foremost? Yes. Does performance art, I mean, obviously it's harder to do under COVID, but is that still an important outlet for you? I've never liked it. I just do it because, because other people like it. It's, it's useful for other people. I hate it. I hate doing it. It's, it's torture for me. <laughs> I know Dame Darcy was working with you a lot. I had her on the show a couple of years ago. And I was reading at one point that she left a tour and your daughter had to fill in. <laughs> yeah. Was that miserable for her? It really was awful. She was 14 years old. And she's very ambitious. And she's not a disgusting person. And I, I am. And my fans are way more disgusting than I am. And, and uh, it was a nightmare for her and God bless her. She did it like to be helpful. It was a nightmare for her. What was she doing that was so miserable? Well, she was singing and dancing mainly, which is not that bad and also acting. And that wasn't, she didn't want to do any of it, but the worst part for her was all my gross fans and, and uh, you know, coming up to her and, and, and we would have to, like, hang out and talk to them forever because that's, you know, that's part of touring. Those little guys were hitting on her and stuff. It was also, like, we would sleep in places. And, you know, the kind of people who put up traveling acts, they have the same houses. <laughs> so she wants a, a vineyard vine life. So this was, this was a tragedy. <laughs> For her. Speaking to the kind of the more disgusting side of things. Yes, please. What's uh what drew you to Gigi Allen? Well, I met you know, we both grew up in New Hampshire and he was a you know, a legend and he I loved that he just did whatever he wanted. It was so wonderful under the Reagan years, growing up under the under Reagan, to see somebody who did whatever the heck he wanted. And I met him in a, in a bus station by accident, I recognized him. I knew it was him. And I was about 16 and I introduced myself to him and he gave me, he was, he had no shirt on. Uh, and it was the middle of winter and he was just a big loud presence. And he gave me a cassette tape that he had on him. And it was, uh, and I got home and I played it and it was, him live in Texas singing and interacting with a crowd that was heckling him and, and 
he only got through about three songs before, and he was telling all these jokes too. Nobody knows that like how funny he is, and he he was really joking a lot. And then I think he spit and they beat him up. This is the life for me, man. I, yes, I thought this is the life for me. Exactly that. I want to tell jokes. I want to be free. I want to walk into a bus station with no shirt on and have people recognize me. I want to. I want to go to Texas and have everyone mad at me. I want to throw my Get at them because I I just I want to like shake people up and I want them to chase me out of town. I want to get chased from town to town and I want to have adventures and misadventures and like that's the life I want and that's the life I had. It wasn't something that Gigi could do forever and it wasn't something he planned to do forever. Do you feel that you you grew out of that to some degree? Thank God. <laughs> I mean, it was really really good for the time. I mean, it's just like different gods you know you have your you know you have your 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 time to shit and flee (laughs) you feel like because of what people know you for on the performance artist side of things that you still feel obliged to have kind of a certain amount of disgustingness be a part of the performance you said before that it was that that you were doing disgusting stuff that your daughter was uh no, for her, in her mind, you know, sleeping on a on a greasy is disgusting. Did we do anything disgusting? I mean, yes, we like we ran around and bit people. We had a snicker bar that we pretended was an abortion. I mean, you know, we did some we did some things that would be gross to a fourteen year old person who wants to grow up and be a social worker. Do you feel like at this point though that your kids appreciate or at least kind of understand? what you do and what you've done? No. No. <laughs> I mean, she lets me be me, but I don't think that she appreciates it. Every once in a while, I read her some glowing review where somebody says I'm a genius, and, and I was like, see, hey, see? And she's like, okay, mother. <laughs> she bears with me. 